Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 12.07 a.m. Sunday night slash Monday morning and I am sitting here in a walking boot. If you were at church uh, today, you saw it. Uh, you may have seen me complain about it on social media. And yeah, my foot is like, uh, it's done. It's just used up. I don't I don't know that I did anything to it. It just gave out. I, I don't, that's sort of true. I, I like dropped something on it that was like 50 pounds. But then it was fine for a couple days. And then it was excruciating. And I fractured my foot a couple times before. And I, you know, do the rice, rest, ice, compress, elevate. And, uh, you know, after a couple days, it gets better. But so far, it has not gotten better. So, yeah, I hope you're doing better than me. <laughs> oh, anyway, today was a really cool day at church. We have um, the past two weeks talked about two things that are totally easy and not abstract at all and really easy to get. Last week was prayer and this week was heaven. Uh, I am someone who, um, I'm not speaking for the church, I'm just speaking for myself personally. I have sort of let go of a lot of like really spiritual beliefs about my faith, and I focus more on the religion part of it. So I struggle with things like the afterlife and heaven, and what does that really mean? And uh, anyway, I was really looking forward to what Hannah had to say, and I think it was really great. I, um, I think no matter where you are, where it comes to the afterlife, whether or not you are certain there's a heaven with golden streets and singing, or if you're like a little unsure and confused, uh, you're going to like this message either way. Um, okay, that's it. Oh, no, that's not it. Uh, we have a small group that we're starting, a special creative writing small group. We would love for you to join. Go to diff.church and you can sign up there. Uh, it is only on Zoom. It's not in person. Uh, so it's going to be something unique. We've never done anything like it before. I'm really pumped. I think it's going to be fun to get the creative juices flowing at Different Church. So we would love for you to sign up for that. Uh, now, um, I wasn't going to do the welcome today, but Hannah made me do it anyway. I'll let her tell you why. Yes, I told Jared, I was like, Jared, you have to do announcements. You can just complain to everyone. It will make you feel better. <laughs> Ask me how I know. <laughs> Sometimes, like, for example, yesterday... Uh, I tell my husband, can I just complain for a minute? And that is a signal to, I, first of all, do not need you to fix this or give me solutions. I just need you to let me tell you how terrible this garbage is of my life. And then when I'm done, um, I still don't need you to fix it. Just give me chocolate. <laughs> or, you know, whatever you want. Last night it was popcorn. But today's fine. Um... This morning, we are going to read a passage from Isaiah. You probably have heard it. It's fairly often quoted. It is, especially the last couple lines, it's like, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, and snakes will eat dust, etc., etc." We're going to read an abridged version, because the whole thing is very long. I don't know if you are aware of this. Bible is very long. <laughs> so we're going to read verses 17 through 25, but I jumped out a little bit of it, because we do have to get places. This is not a Pentecostal service, okay? <laughs> if you get that, I apologize for your life. <laughs> this is Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. It's God talking. He says, look, or in my head, I think of that little kid who's like, listen, Linda, listen. 
listen, I am creating a new heavens and a new earth and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. No longer will babies die when they are only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses or confiscate their vineyards. My people will live as long as trees. I know that's a metaphor, but like which ones? (laughs) The magnolia in my yard that's dying or like the redwood that's been there for a thousand years? My chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not work in vain. Their children will not be doomed to misfortune. They are people blessed by the Lord. Their children, too, will be blessed. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The snakes will eat dust. Good to know that in heaven, snakes are still garbage. (laughs) Sorry if you love snakes. (laughs) In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. This passage comes from a part of Isaiah called Third Isaiah. Did you know there was more than one Isaiah? (laughs) There's not really. There's only one book of Isaiah. But scholars have divided it into first, second, and third Isaiah because they really phoned it in on those names. They're like, what should we call this section? Third? I don't know. It comes third. Um, That's like the people who created (laughs) walkie-talkies. They're like, what should we we call this? We walk and we talk? (laughs) I stole that from a comedian. I just can't remember his name. (laughs) Brian Regan. He's very funny. And if you have conservative, like, parents who can't handle anything, um, just play that one. That's fine. He doesn't, like, say anything offensive at all. This is a tip for you because Thanksgiving is coming, okay? So there's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Isaiah. The first one is chapters 1 through 39, and it is the words slash prophecies of the actual person Isaiah. The second Isaiah is chapters 40 through 55, and it was written after Isaiah died. It was most likely the work of his students, his tradition. He had like a school of prophecy, and it's very optimistic. They are like living their best lives. And then you get to 3rd Isaiah, which is chapters 55 through 66. We don't know who this prophet is, but still in the school and tradition of Isaiah. Um, It is a bit dark. It's kind of like, you know how Harry Potter was all happy at the beginning? And it's just like, little children, yay, magic. Like, oh. And then then we're like, oh, no, the world is ending. And there might be hope, but probably not. Everyone's dying. Maybe. Oh, you don't know. So that's kind of the progression. Third Isaiah is the end of Harry Potter. <laughs> if you can't refute me, read your Bible. <laughs> um, they, the re, when this is written is the first wave of Israelites have come back from their forced deportation to another country. Okay? They are faced with the ruins of their capital city, which is Jerusalem. The city is in shambles. The homes are destroyed. There's hardly anything left of the temple, which used to be their place of worship. There is like grass and trees growing through what used to be their houses. And they are depressed. I mean, I would be, right? The, what, their future, not so bright. If you were coming back from somewhere to a place that was your homeland, and you've heard all these wonderful things about how magical your homeland was, and then you get there, and it's like, oh, okay, cool. We have to rebuild 
our houses, but not just our houses, the city walls, the temple, the government, the economy, the farms, everything. Nothing is here. We have no way to feed ourselves or protect ourselves. This is like the whole point of the book of Nehemiah was like, oh, we should have a wall, I guess. There's people trying to attack us. And we should just stop working on other projects until we can make sure that people with swords can't get in. So they're very cynical. They don't have anybody to rely on. They don't have any ancestors with them. All of the old people would not have come with them. They couldn't have made the trip, right? They don't have generational wealth. They don't even have somebody to watch their kids while they're trying to do all of this. And this group is faced with this monumental task of trying to rebuild, and they're very pessimistic. Rightfully so, but they're also pretty gritty and determined. I think if you are coming back from forced deportation, you're like, we're going to rebuild. You'd have to have some, what's the word? (laughs) Chutzpah, yes. (laughs) Yes, you have to have some of that. They refuse to give up entirely. They refuse to sink into despair. They're working for a better life for themselves and their children. They are fighters and builders and dreamers. And the prophet who wrote this whole section is a dreamer too. And he's putting words to this vision for a different kind of future than the one that they see before them. And it's of a new heaven and a new earth where heaven and earth are no longer at odds with each other. They're no longer alienated from each other, but there's harmony between the two worlds. It's a very interesting vision. Like, first of all, everyone in the new heaven and new earth lives peacefully with each other. No one thinks that's unreasonable. I'm sorry, we can't even live peacefully in our own families. Shout out to next week when we're going to have a panel discussion on how to live peacefully in our own families during Thanksgiving. We can't even live peacefully in a tiny nuclear family group, let alone with everyone else, people of other religions, other cultures. We don't have a handle on this. So any reasonable person would be like, oh, us living peacefully in harmony with each other? I'm out. This is obviously a fake vision, right? But no, it gets better slash more unrealistic. Everyone will have houses to live in. Infants will be thriving. Old people will be cared for. Everyone will have vineyards and crops that are growing. Animal and human and plant, everything will live in harmony. It seems like utopia. I mean, it seems pretty great to me, honestly. Like some of these words, no longer will babies die when they're a few days old. That one gets me. No longer will adults die before they live a full life. They'll have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. Their work will not be in vain. Their children will not be doomed to misfortune. I will answer them before they even call me. I think this is actually a better vision for heaven than what we normally think of. We're just like, yay, everything's fixed. No more dying. Let's just sing forever. (laughs) No one gets tired of that. This is like a completely reorganized social landscape. Infant mortality will be gone. Like, and with it, maternal mortality. I don't know if you know this, but historically, the number one killer of women, other than men, is childbirth. Mothers and babies will live, right? Adults will not die tragically. That's what that means. Like, there will be no more car accidents or freak infections or... Your parents and your grandparents won't die of heart disease and cancer, and everyone will have a chance to live a full life. People will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. I really love that one. We work so hard, and we're always worrying about how hard we're working. We never have time to step back and be like, I did that. Let's just enjoy it. 
Let's look at what we built. Uh, People will not work in vain. What does that mean? So many things. Okay, our years of work will not be wasted on corporations that don't value our contributions or us as people at all. Our labor will not be swallowed up in a capitalist system that gobbles up every usable ounce of our energy and then just spits us back out and is like, have a nice life. There will be no such thing as slavery. Migrant workers will build houses and live in them. And they will not be forced to travel so that others can eat while they, while they themselves struggle to feed their families. Workers will be paid a fair wage. There will be adequate provision for those who want to work and those who are unable to work. We will not spend our years and years and years on projects and products that destroy our economy and our bodies and our souls. <laughs> our work will be meaningful and valuable Our children and our children's children and all of the children who come after that will not be doomed to misfortune. What does that mean? There won't be any generational trauma. Can you imagine? Everyone will have good ancestors. Everyone will have an extended support system. And Yahweh will answer before people even ask. No longer will we wonder whether God is silent or question whether God cares. God's presence and provision will be so apparent in our lives that it will be part of the air we're breathing. That's a pretty good vision. That's like healing and breathtaking and magical, where the goodness of God's creation just explodes in living color. And every person and animal and plant, everything belongs and is valued and is cared for and has a purpose. Sign me up. (laughs) I would love to sign up for this, but I would like to know how it happens because in order for this to happen, clearly something else is going to have to happen because if you look around the world, you can be like, okay, obviously false. (laughs) Um, It says at the beginning, the old things will pass away and no one will even think of them anymore. This is actually a word of judgment that God is bringing. And I think it's one of the many examples in the Old Testament that judgment is not a bad thing. We think it's a bad thing, and then we judge other people, right? And it says, judge not, lest you be judged, et cetera, et cetera. But God is allowed to judge. And by that, I mean just and fair judgment is something the ancient world and our modern world is desperate for. If something is wrong, if something is broken or fractured, causing harm, we don't need platitudes. We need just and fair judgment. We need things to be put back the way they should be for the person doing the oppressing and the oppressed person, right? We can't just have this fixed. Both sides have to be fixed or the cycle will continue. If a person is stealing, we need what they have stolen to be returned and restitution made, right? But that doesn't fix the whole system. We also need the person who stole to be healed from their need to steal, whether it's they need provision for their family, or they need accessible healthcare, or they need fair wages, or maybe they need healing of a trauma that is causing them to take shortcuts to get what they think they deserve or need. Both parties need fair judgment, right? If a corporation or multiple are raising the earth and using people as expendable commodities, we need them to be stopped. We need restitution to the earth and to the people that have been harmed. And... We need the people running these machines to be healed of their need to run machines. 
that use and abuse God's creation and people. Both parties need fair judgment. I mean, if we ourselves are acting in harmful ways to each other, we're lying, we're lashing out, like we should be called out on that. We need to apologize. (laughs) We need to repair relationships that we have damaged. And we need healing in our own souls from the fear that we have that no one will accept us if we speak our truth. We need coping mechanisms that enable us to tolerate discomfort long enough to go through it instead of taking it out on other people. No matter the situation, both parties need just and fair judgment. And who can possibly judge fairly except the God who created the universe and is intimately involved in every aspect of it? Yahweh must come do this. It is God's job to do this. It is God's job to not only be present and involved, but to bring truth into situations where lies and deception abound. And when this happens, the past will be past. It will not even be remembered. Or perhaps it will be remembered like you remember the newborn stage of your child. Terrible what it happened. But later you're like, oh, it's nice back then. I miss their squishy little legs. Meanwhile, they screamed for 12 hours straight. And you're like, in the middle of it, you're like, this is terrible. And we're in the middle of the world being like, this is terrible. It has to stop, right? Judgment's not the last word. God is not saying, oh, everything needs to be wiped away. Start clean slate. That's not the promise. The promise is newness, and here's how. It's live peacefully with each other, and here's how you do that. It is the continuing creative work that comes from God's very being, and we are invited to participate in that. We get to make the new heaven and the new earth. It is not about the utter destruction of our current world and the creation of a new world. Contrary to popular evangelical nonsense, you can ask me how I really feel. That's how I feel. <laughs> nonsense, okay? We are, this is not the apocalypse. It is about building on the original creation that God made and said was very good and expanding that goodness until it overtakes what currently is and makes it so much better that it's almost unrecognizable. Have you ever seen someone who's like going through something really difficult in their life and then they, you see them like 10 years later and they are a completely different person? Maybe they're married. Maybe they have a family. Maybe they're, they're doing things in their life. They went to school. They got a job. They are a completely different person, almost unrecognizable from the garbage fire that you used to know. Maybe we were that person. Um, <laughs> just speak for myself. <laughs> okay? Like, it is so good that it's almost unrecognizable. And no one's mad about it. No one's going to be like, I liked you better before. No. <laughs> right? And I think to understand this vision of a transformed world, we just have to look at it through the lens of Jesus. We are coming up on Christmas. If you don't know what this shirt is, it's from Elf. Okay? One of the greatest Christmas movies of all time. I will fight you on that. That's my Christmas spirit. <laughs> I tried to make... Christmas music play in the lobby and Alexa would not listen to me. (sighs) So annoying. But it's Christmas now. It's Christmas. Halloween ended on October 31st. Christmas started November 1st. It goes until November 24th. November 25th, Thanksgiving! (laughs) 
November 26th, Christmas, okay? Until at least three days after New Year's. Probably the weekend, like two weekends later, because I'm gonna milk that Christmas tree as long as I possibly can. But what do we celebrate at Christmas? We celebrate the incarnation. And the incarnation is just a fancy word for God became human in Jesus. God found it worthwhile and valuable to show us that being human is worthwhile and valuable. And not just worthwhile, but redeemable. Jesus was radically inclusive. He claimed real tangible power, like so much so that we are talking, we're still talking about it. 2,000 something years later, we're still talking about the kind of power he did, and he did it through nonviolent ways. His life and ministry was about presence, about being with people and loving them and healing them and walking through life and death with them. And Jesus' life and death and resurrection provide us a new set of glasses for us to look through. It's like we can't see clearly. Our prescription has changed and we're still like, I don't need glasses. That's biblical, right? It's like we see, but only through a mirror darkly. We need a clear, accurate picture of what things really are so that we can engage in the process of making a new heaven and a new earth, not as some far-off goal, but as something to bring into existence here and now. This passage describes a huge transformation. Like, can you imagine showing up to this dump that used to be your capital city and being like, okay, let's rebuild. Um, And this being the vision of what you're doing. Like, low mortality, in a society where you died at like 30, Uh, housing and food for all citizens in a place that had no housing and no farming, okay? Sustainable employment for people where there was no industry. These are all things that would make a huge transformation of the living conditions, not just in Jerusalem, but like in St. Pete, (laughs) in America, let alone the world. And we gather on Sunday, and what what is the point of this, right? Is to confess together that God, it is in God's power to do this. It is in God's power to accomplish this. And what we have to do is start the work of transformation by following the example of grace and mercy that Jesus set out for us. We can't do everything or most things, honestly. But we are able to give one bottle of water or cup of coffee at a time. We are able to give one book that touched our heart to a friend. We are able to send a text message to someone who's struggling. One moment where we humanize another person instead of objectifying them. One declaration and belief that every person is a child of God and is worthy and is loved. All of those little things add up. They accumulate. And in doing those little things, we are actively engaging in God's reordering of creation. We are doing the meaningful work that is mentioned in this passage. Do you want your work to not be in vain? Do something for other people. Y'all can come back up here. I'm almost done. When we inevitably feel discouraged or the roads are closed and it downpours and you break your foot. (laughs) Because the the vision of the new heaven and the new earth has not arrived. in your life, at your doorstep. What we need to focus on, and I don't mean this in any kind of way that minimizes current experience. Two things can be true, right? Something can suck. And 
God can still have unlimited capacity to create and heal. God has the capacity to create on an unimaginable scale. In fact, God has already done so. All we have to do is open our eyes and look around. There is nothing in all of creation or all that we could imagine outside of creation that is beyond the capacity of God to fix or change or heal. Nothing is final. I'm reminded of some book. I can't even remember who this is by or what the book's about. But the title is The Last Word and the word after that. And in Hebrew scripture, you find often that the day of the Lord's judgment, the day when God comes and does all of this just and fair truth-telling that can be very uncomfortable, there is a day after that. It's not the end. At the heart of Christian faith, to me, is this God who can create new things, even in the darkest hours of human history. The first verse of our passage today says, listen, I am creating a new heavens and a new earth and no one will even think about the old way anymore. It won't even come to mind. Maybe that's because we won't think of it anymore. Or maybe it will be because we processed it. We went through it. We healed from it. We changed the shape of the hurt in our grinchy little hearts into love and belonging. Human destruction is no match for God's creative joy. I really believe that. Like, I think if we could have truly destroyed this world, we would have done it already. And we have tried. It's not like, we're like, we see history and we're like, hold my beer. Well, let me do this again. Y'all did not destroy the world correctly the first time. And yet, here we are. And how many things have you been through in your life that should have destroyed you? And yet, here you are. This world is worth saving. This world is not a garbage fire. Garbage fire? That's not the phrase, is it? Dumpster fire. I can't believe y'all let me say that earlier. <laughs> This world is worth saving. You are worth saving. This world is worth healing. You are worth healing. It is worth the effort to create a new heaven and a new earth where all people are blessed by the Lord and their children are blessed and their grandchildren are blessed and every person lives in harmony with each other and their creator. won't be a waste. It's not a waste. It will never be a waste. New life can always come.